Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. Longtime fans, of which there are so many, know that every Halloween I like to sit down, stop moving every part of my body, and <laughs> witness horror movies from dawn till dusk. Well, no, past dusk. Dawn till bedtime. Yes. It's a, it's a whole marathon of movies, one might say. You could call it a Halloween movie marathon if you were so inclined. Maybe even a hoedown. You might want to call Perhaps. it that. And it's so fun. And now we're going to do quickie reviews of those movies. No spoilers here today because that would be sad. Yes. Because you don't even know what all these movies are. I don't because while I usually am also in the house not moving all of the parts of my body. On this particular day, this particular Halloween, I was in fact out walking around in neighborhoods in Colleen trying to drum up votes for my favorite candidate. It makes me feel guilty. Is that bad? Am I bad? I don't think you're bad. I'm very impressed with you when you're walking around. Thanks. My feet are less so impressed with me. I mean, that's, They have complaints. That's something. Um, so anyway, I don't have a lot to say about most of these movies. I did catch the very last one because I got home. It was after dark. I had to stop walking. But most of these are just going to be your thoughts on them. And there's some secrets here because the first two movies I watched before Halloween. <gasps> and the last movie I watched after Halloween. <gasps> and also I realize it's nowhere near Halloween right now. It got complicated with our schedule of these shows, so this is when you're getting the roundup. This whole, like, uh, doing it one week at a time and recording way in advance thing is is a little tricky. It's confusing, but at least I don't have to edit every single day anymore. Let's start with one of the pre-Halloween movies, Grim Cuddy from 2022. Yes, which you watched with me. I did watch it with you. I did not take notes. And since it's been more than five minutes since that movie <laughs> ended, I may or may not remember anything about it. Well, let me tell you about it. On this podcast, we mention ASMR very often. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> And we think it's silly and ridiculous, which, I mean, I, I don't mean to belittle it, you know, like some people get a like a fizzle in their brain from it, and right. that's great. They can enjoy that, but I still find it a silly thing. Because it doesn't do a thing for yeah, us. Like, it's it not, not for us. Yeah. But this is a movie about ASMR, sort of. It's not really. Although that was an idea I had. Whoa, imagine a horror movie where, like, there's, like, a certain sound that, like, breaks your brain and it's like a little asmr noise Ooh. that would be interesting yeah it's not that no but the main character 
like had her own little podcast or YouTube video or whatever it was, Facebook Live. I don't know yeah, what social some, media she was some using. Some kind of video thing. But she did, she was doing ASMR. She's a teenager. She was trying to build up her following. Yeah. And uh, generally, though, the parents of the town are freaked out because they are learning about this online challenge. I guess. Oh, yeah. The Grim Cuddy Challenge, which is nobody knows what it is. Well, it's theoretically, it's like self-harm, right? Like yeah. that the pe- the children of this town are harming themselves. That seems to be the case. And it's one of these stories where, you know, the parents are dumb and the teenagers are smart and the teenagers are like, there's no challenge. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of cool in that the movie is about the danger being the hysteria, not the actual thing that everyone's afraid of it was reminiscent of like the 80s dungeons and dragons <laughs> yes satanic panic kind of situation yeah and i thought that was that was a fun angle like it really felt unique in that i mean there was a monster spoilers i guess but that's not a spoiler because if you've seen a trailer you would know that but it's really about the hysteria. That's that's the big threat here. Yeah. And it goes into that more, but that would be spoilers. So I won't spoil it. It is very reminiscent of a certain episode of Buffy. It has almost the exact same plot, but I can't tell you which one because that would be spoilers. Mm. Mm-hmm. What I liked about this is that there is, it's a fun, like... I mean, not fun, but it, it it is a horror movie with this, you know, ooh, monster of the week sort of feel to it. But there is also, like, if you wanted to, which of course I always want to, dig into it a little deeper and find the, like, the undercurrent message of it, there is something to be found. Much yes. like uh, the movie it made me think of was The Duke. Yeah. This is very clearly a story where... It's all metaphors for other right. things. And right. it's it's obvious, it's not hard to figure out, but it's fun to see that kind of thing. Yeah. And I thought it was a, a good metaphor. I liked the message, the metaphorical message, yes. along with the, you know, just the story itself. This is, you know, a uh, lightweight teen horror kind of thing, um, but it was enjoyable. So I give it three detox boxes out of five. Okay. I also agree that it was a fun, light entertaining horror movie and on top of that i thought the metaphorical message was not only a good one but a fairly important one and that makes this a good movie for parents of teenagers to watch with their teenagers yeah if they can get the right message out of it you know <laughs> yes, like if the parents true. are smart enough to figure out what the mess what the movie's actually saying and then have a conversation Around that. But we all know parents are dumb and teenagers are smart. <laughs> right, exactly. So I am actually going to give Grim Cuddy four detox boxes out of five. Very nice. I will say the monster's really dumb looking, but it kind of works as like a, this is, you know, an internet meme monster. It's kind of interesting. So now we shift into the ones that you watched without me, starting with Prophecy from 1979. What's this one about? This is an eco-horror film about the horrors of logging and how logging, as we all know, creates giant mutant animals. Oh, so Ferngully style. I I guess so, yeah. It's fascinating because this movie opens with 
every single social issue in the world at once. It's got an abortion story. It's got a tenement where people are getting bit by rats. It's got protests by Native Americans. Like, all the stuff is going on. That sounds heavy. Yeah, it's very 70s to... Yes. Back then, they were conscious of social issues is what was (laughs) happening. There is also a raccoon attack in this movie. Was he rabid? No, he was... Angry. Well, he was mutated by the uh, logging situation, but not really mutated. It was just a raccoon. Okay. Okay. Also, speaking of social issues, we have Native Americans played by Italians in this movie. So you got that going for it. 70s, man. Like, that's not happening today. (laughs) (laughs) And fun note of interest... The monster in this movie, which looks, I believe one reviewer described it as a giant salami. (laughs) It was the inspiration for Man Bear Pig in South Park. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's something to put on your wall right there. (laughs) It sure is. So how would you rate Prophecy? It was not a good movie. Mm. It was a monster movie. It was cheesy and dumb. And it was very frustrating because the main character is like, he's there with his wife, he's investigating this situation, and he's completely oblivious to every concern she has. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it, it was really annoying. Sounds like the 70s. It was the 70s, for sure. So I gave it one and a half giant tadpoles out of five. Okay, that's that's not a super high score. It's that's, not. That's not super high. I mean, this is like, I think it's kind of a <laughs> classic of sorts, but nobody, I don't know. I've never heard of it elsewhere, and yet somehow it seems like it was a big deal. I don't know why I think that. Interesting. I might be just totally wrong. <laughs> just making that up. Yeah. I mean, that whole inspiring man bear pig on South Park is... Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's how you know it was big. Right, right. Okay, so from Prophecy... We arrive at Halloween Day, which you started first thing with VHS 99 from 2022. Now, we watched an earlier VHS before, right? I believe that I have seen all the VHSs. I think we've reviewed at least one, maybe two. Okay. There are a series of them, and this fits right into the series, although... Let me start by explaining what it is. It's an anthology. Huzzah! Oh, I missed the one anthology we watched this season. And, oh, I'm sure we can find more. Don't worry about that. And it's an anthology of found footage movies. So this was right up your alley. Yes. How many different stories were there in this anthology? I believe there were four. Five stories and a wraparound. But that's one of the things about this movie is the VHS series has always been very much involved in the wraparound. Like mm-hmm. like it's about finding, you know, an evil set of VHS tapes. And then the story of the people going in and finding them is the wraparound and, you know, something terrible happens to them. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, there is no true wraparound. The wraparound story is this video shot of, you know, stop motion. A kid is filming a video with his um, action figures. And 
that's what it is. And it's all completely ridiculous. It doesn't huh. mean anything. It's just for fun. Although it, it's weird because it kind of goes into one of the middle stories because that tape gets grabbed by his brother and he, his brother takes the camera and goes off and films that story, the middle story. Oh, so that's, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Each story in here is directed by a different person. And for the most part, they are kind of like we discussed in Dashcam earlier. They're that kind of found footage where, you know, they have a gimmick. There's some little trick they came up with and they really want to show off that trick. Like yeah. the story's built around, let's see this thing happen in camera. And ooh, isn't that exciting? Mm-hmm. So that's questionable like it's always a little weird but it's kind of fun to watch and i am actually not a fan of these vhs movies they're kind of bad and yet because they're found footage anthologies i'm always coming right right back to drawn to them i've got to try the next one and you know that's my thing with anthologies is you've got all these little stories so you can always see the next one a couple Mm -hmm. seconds later you don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about whether this one is bad what is interesting is one of the stories in here, even though, you know, each story is, I don't know, 10 minutes long, 15, I don't know. One of them twists and turns about three or four times to become totally different stories over the course of it. Did it do it in a a way that you could follow it or was it just super chaotic? No, it was, I mean, it was a legitimate, it was like the plot of a full length movie compressed into 15 minutes. Interesting. It, it all made sense. I'm not saying it was great, but yeah, it was yeah. pretty fun. And another thing about it that was fun is that it was it was like a Nickelodeon game show. Well, well at least that's how it started. We moved oh, on sure. From there. So, I mean, that was a fun idea for one of these was, you know, kids sliding down a slide into slime mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and wondering why, how that was going to go bad. Right. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Watching that show, I always sort of wondered how it was going to go <laughs> bad anyway. So. Yeah. It's not a surprise. So how would you rate VHS 99? It was not terrible. It's cheesy and dumb, kind of enjoyable. So I give it two and a half jars of acid out of five. Okay, fair enough. Not terrible, but not great. Sure. I do want to come in with sharing a favorite quote from this movie, though. Uh, This kid calling 911. I'm calling about a girl with snakes in her head. A 911 operator responds. How many snakes, sir? <laughs> Can't phase a 911 operator. No, they, they want to know. Nope. They got to get the details. So then moving on, the next movie you watched was Deadstream, also from 2022. Yes. What do you have to say about that? Let me tell you that when I'm left to my own devices to pick movies, a lot of found footage is going to sneak in there. I'm not actually surprised by that. And in fact, some found footage snuck in here with Deadstream, which is a found footage film. It's got a fun conceit because it is about a YouTuber who, you know, he had whatever scandal. They always have a scandal. And he's done his apology video and everything. But he wants to get all his viewers back. So he's going extreme. So he locks himself in a haunted house and live streams the whole thing. And so it's got the comments in the corner and he'll talk to the comments. It'll be like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Half the time the comments are going, there's someone behind you. And there isn't. Uh And he's like, oh my gosh. And so it's a fun idea and it's pretty comedic because he reacts, you know, like a YouTuber. He's like having goofy reactions to everything. 
but it's also super unrealistic. Like after he's had horrible ghostly things happen to him, he'll still be like having goofy reactions to things and mean like, Oh guys, look what I found. Isn't this interesting? He's kind of blues cluesy. <laughs> and then when he gets scared, he'll swear and then he'll be like, Oh no, I mean, shoot, don't demonetize me. So that's kind of fun. Wow. So do you have a favorite quote from that one? I have two favorite quotes from this one. My less favorite is, Red Rover, Red Rover, send dead babies right over. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds like something a six-year-old would say. (laughs) It does. It's very Blue's Clues. (laughs) And my other one was, oh no, ghosts love closets. (laughs) Which is pretty funny. But overall, the movie, I mean, like I said, it's not really good because it's too silly for what it's trying to do it's not a straight up comedy it's like it's supposed to be a youtuber really you know being tortured and whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet it has this ridiculous tone and it's got like an evil dead style to it to some degree i heard i saw people saying you know like oh this is like if evil dead was found footage and it's not it's it's trying to do some of that but it's mostly just kind of your basic found footage run around thing okay how would you rate this movie two potato guns out of five okay i don't think it was really terrible it's just it's it's a pretty bad movie though not great yeah well so the next one that you watched then Does that get any better? It gets so much worse. This was the one I texted you. I am currently watching the dumbest movie I've ever seen. I remember getting that text while I was out walking. Yes. And it is entitled Don't Panic from 1987. I feel like I have seen that one showing up somewhere. Like I've seen the title of that one because every time I see it, I think of the book in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that has Don't Panic on the cover of it. Yeah, it's not like that. No. Um, So what happens in Don't Panic? Well, this is a very strange experience because it is a Mexican movie, but it's about Americans going to an apparently English-speaking school in Mexico City. And no explanation of like, like it says, you know, that they're down there temporarily in some way, you know, like, ooh, they're here for a semester or whatever. It doesn't specify, but it says that they're there. And yet they all like live there. They all have houses and everything. Like it's, it's very permanent feeling. It's so weird. They're all speaking English. You can tell by watching their mouths move, but they're being dubbed over. And I think it's because they're English. They're being dubbed over in English. And I think it's because they're Mexican actors. And so I think they're being dubbed with American actors to get rid of any accents. Oh, that's weird. I mean, like I can't figure out why, the whole American angle to this. Like, this should just be some kids in Mexico City going to school and living their lives. But that whole thing aside, which was very trippy and messed up the movie for me, it's about kids who have a party, play with a Ouija board, which you should never do. No. And therefore, one of them ends up having visions and another one ends up possessed by a demon and the visions are about the demon so you know he's trying to catch the demon doing things typical ouija board stuff yeah the standard functions of a ouija board also a lot of red contact lenses Mm. so the dialogue in this movie is 
awful. And the most commonly used word in this entire movie is Michael. Because (laughs) the main character's name is Michael. And at the end of every sentence that every other character says, they say Michael. They're like, come here, Michael. How are you doing, Michael? What? What's that over there, Michael? It's just wow. every time. It never ends. How did that make you feel as a Michael yourself? I found it obnoxious, actually. <laughs> so you don't want me to start doing that? No, no, okay. I don't. All in all, it was just so 80s. It had like the whole 80s late to class sneaking into the school thing with like synth music going and do 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 do. Yeah, it was one of those. And it was just terrible. I award this film one and a half red contact lenses out of five. It's okay. dumb and people shouldn't watch it. Oh, that's that's good to know. Let's move on to Paranormal Island from... 2014, which from the name sounds to me like we're delving into reality shows again. (laughs) And I'm kind of hopeful that that's a fun movie. Sadly, you are mistaken. This movie's going to get one tequila out of five, so it makes Don't Panic look pretty good. Oh, really? This is, uh, it's not made by the Asylum, I don't think, but it is right in that vein. I went over to Tubi to watch this, where we, the home of shark movies. This is not a shark movie. It's about like a an artificial island, I guess you'd call it. You know, like a, a bar built on a barge or whatever in the middle of a lake. And, you know, the teens go out there to party every night. But only till midnight. It closes at midnight and then everyone has to leave. And so, you know, it's haunted because that's what happens. And some people get left after hours and they have to deal with the ridiculous, terrible ghosts. And it's just so of bad. Course. The main guy in this movie is basically Zach Morris, but it's uh, not him. I feel like I would have expected to see him in Don't Panic, too. Yeah, except that was, yes. (laughs) So, um, okay, so this one, Paranormal Island, not not your favorite. No. This was a waste of time, for sure. Mm, Okay. Well, then let's move right on to the next one, Wish Upon, from 2017. (laughs) Yes, I felt like I had to find something decent after the, those two experiences. How did you go about doing that? What were you, what was your criteria? I was looking for more serious fare, and I don't know why that made me decide this because this is more this is like 90s teen horror, you know. It's about a magic box that grants seven wishes. Ah. And you know, traditionally that's going to be corrupted wishes. You mm-hmm. wish for something and you get the worst version of what you asked for. The, the Stephen King's little monkey dude. Yeah, the monkey dude. However, that's not actually what happens in this movie. Interestingly, oh. the wishes get granted totally legit, although one of them kind of goes bad. But anyway, but in addition to your wish, somebody you know dies. Oh, oh so it's like the red button meme. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So, you know, it's it's this whole thing where we deal with the characters, you know, she's making her wishes and people are dying and, and she's upset. So she wishes something to fix that. So I have a question, though. Okay. Does she know that people will die in order to have her wish fulfilled? I will say that initially she does not. Interesting. 
So this is kind of, this is a fun movie because it's one of those things where you're presented with a set of rules and how things work and this is how they work. And you're going to see, you know, how the characters work through a scenario of mm-hmm. those rules. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that. That's fun for me. So while it was, you know, kind of cheesy teen stuff, it was also just, it was fun. It was enjoyable. So it was nothing super special, but definitely a pleasant movie. I would recommend it. It's very Final Destination, though, you know, where it's like, you know, somebody's going to die. And then like, they kind of, you, you're like, oh, is it going to, is this what's going to kill right, Are them? they going to trip no. and fall on that knife? No. Which, is, are they going to fall in the hole in the sidewalk? No. <laughs> no. And in this case, also, they would, you don't know who's going to die. So mm. they like show multiple people almost getting killed mm. in a bunch of ways. And you're like, which one is it going to be? And That's so, some good tension building. That was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I will say that as a result of that, there was a quote from a newspaper, police report uptick in unusual deaths, which I don't think police track how many deaths are unusual, because how do you decide? Also, I feel like even if that were a thing, that's data that nobody's going to look at for a while. Like, that's not data that comes out the next day. (laughs) Yeah. But speaking of those unusual deaths, this movie made me mad because somebody dumped entire chunks of vegetables in their garbage disposal. I'm like, that's totally improper use of garbage disposal. I was very angry about it. I'm sorry. As a result, I give this movie three disposed veggies out of five. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's not great, but it's definitely an improvement over what you had been watching. Yeah. I I enjoyed it. I will give it a positive three. Okay. So after Wish Upon, then you watched The Cursed from 2021. Is that the one that you were watching when I got home? Yes. I paused it special so that you could join me for this period piece from the 1800s about werewolves. Yes, which I'm afraid you're going to be a little disappointed on because <laughs> I was really tired when I got home. And I um, I started watching it and... I think I kind of didn't care what was going on in this movie. I mean, it had silver teeth in it, remember? It did. And like the that impulse that you get when you come across like a pair of plastic vampire teeth around Halloween to just immediately put them in your mouth. Yeah. Apparently that impulse carries over to like silver teeth that you find in a box in a hole in the ground. Yeah, buried with a dead body. Definitely yeah, put that in your definitely mouth. Definitely stick that right in your mouth. Yeah. So that was part of what was interesting about this movie is that it took werewolf ideas to new places and was very different from any werewolf movie I've seen. Like it's this whole thing about a curse and the metal teeth were involved mm-hmm. in making people werewolves and then the werewolves were the curse they had to kill who they wanted to kill and and then there were branches coming out of people and it was just an interesting new take on werewolves which i liked it did it also dealt with the racism toward the romani people who in this (laughs) movie are called the slur gypsies but it's very much addressing the fact that they they were persecuted by the landowners in that area. Yeah, there was this whole bit where the guy 
who murdered them was like it, it was just so modern of him the way he was like this other guy was confronting him and being like you know but you killed them like this is what you get and he's like yeah but my son died which was a response to him killing them. So, no, you don't get to complain about the thing that happened after your bad thing because you did the bad thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was very much a, like, but these are are terrible humans and we should eradicate them from the earth. Yeah. And the fact that they sought revenge on having their entire, like, village burned down was just a sign of how terrible they were Clearly. and why they needed to yeah, the, have their whole village burned down. The fact that they would not want to be burned down is terrible. Yes. So, yeah, that guy was bad. The whole thing kind of felt like the Vavitch in, uh-huh. you know, definitely in the period it takes place in and in the somber tone and the especially the music. It had that same kind of <laughs> music that they do in scary movies. And... You know, like the colors and everything. It was just very gray and dead. So that was interesting. I like this better than the Vivitch because I know people love that movie, but I did not. And this was uh, surprisingly enjoyable because I don't really go for the period stuff from way Uh back. I feel bored with it, but I I was enjoying the interesting way the werewolves worked and what they meant and how that all worked. And I found it interesting. I always think it's funny that movies that take place like in the, what we figured out this was like the late 1800s, right? Movies that take place in that time period, we now have this idea that they wore very bland, (laughs) monotone clothing. So then the, the aesthetic is to make everything bland and yes. monotone. It bleeds out of them into the world around them. And every time I see that, I want to like, I have this urge to shout to somebody like trees were still green in the 1800s. Like just Greener. because, right? <laughs> just because people chose to wear black and brown and gray and dark blue didn't mean there was no color in the whole world. Like yeah. the sky was still blue. <laughs> the flowers were still colors. Like color existed even if we as humans were being bland and dark Boring. and desolate. It, yeah. It's like, it's so weird that that's what happens every time. Well, that makes me think of, you know, recently I saw an artist's rendition of what Greek statues actually looked like <gasps> yes, originally. Where they have all these like ridiculous colors. <laughs> they, they were look hideous. like circus clowns. <laughs> they were like 70s statues yes. rather than something in the past. Because they're gray now because the paint is gone, not because they were gray statues. Right. They were marble <laughs> statues painted with paint that didn't last. Yeah, so, I mean, who knows? There was probably lots of color on stuff people did in this era, too. Although maybe not, because it was hard to come by, and they were living in a rough era. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I I suspect it was more than we give credit for. And also, like, sure, there were the certain religious sects that were like, we can only wear black and brown because God wants us to be sad. (laughs) But I suspect, just like today, there were people who flew in the face of all of those things and like just did their own thing and refused to be told what to do. And those people probably, I mean, historically, the people who stand outside the cultural norms tend to have bolder style. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. 
I don't know, especially even, okay, think about this. When you imagine what Romani culture looks like, yeah. what does that look like to you? That's like, colorful. I immediately see lots of color yeah. and, you know, bangles and shiny things. <laughs> and red and yellow and green. And now some of that might be inaccurate representation created by people who don't know what that culture is, but I suspect it's based somewhat on the fact that they stood outside the cultural norm of yeah. be sad, life is hard. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Interesting. But this movie was very bleak. Of course. And who doesn't love a bleak movie, which is why I give this one four scarecrows out of five. Okay, um, I'm going to abstain from scoring this one. I do not think that I paid enough attention to really give it any kind of accurate score. And I, I don't blame that on the movie so much as I was just really tired. And You're working hard. Yeah. I will say, though, that I stuck around and stayed awake because I was hoping to get an answer to a question that came early on in the movie, which was never answered. What? And I found that frustrating. Yes. So, I mean, I, I don't think that's enough to, like, say don't watch the movie, but... Yeah, the ending was a letdown. Yeah, I was disappointed in the end. Or maybe I was just too tired to, like, be excited about the options that the directors had provided us. No, I don't approve of that. Okay. They, they set something up at the beginning, and then at the end they were like, and here we are back at that same spot. Bye. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can set it up and be like, and now I leave it to the mm -hmm. viewer or reader to interpret what might happen next. And other times that's just a cop out. Yeah. This felt like a cop out. So that took us up until bedtime. But speaking of staying up late, even though you were tired. I was. I was ready for bed. But you were like, there's one last scary movie that you had picked specifically because for me to watch. Halloween. And that brings us to Rob Zombie's 2016 movie called 31. Just the numbers, 3-1. I feel like going into this discussion, we need to say that there are some somewhat spoilers in this discussion yes. because Soli cannot stop talking about Rob Zombie movies. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's begin. <laughs> I always want to put a Halloween-themed movie in my Halloween marathon because I feel like that's important on Halloween. Yes. So this was your Halloween-themed Halloween movie. I guess it wasn't very Halloween-themed, but it takes place on Halloween, which is why it's 31. Okay. And it's, you know, it's, it's a... I mean, it is Halloween-themed in that this 31, this event that was happening, takes place every year. These, these folks put on this event every this year. This great event yeah. for everyone to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So no spoilers, I guess. I want to start by saying I never feel more conflicted than when I am watching a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. Because there is nothing in these movies that appeals to any part of the me that I want to be. Okay? <laughs> like, I can't really relate to the characters in Rob Zombie movies. Mm -hmm. Like they are they are people who live outside of cultural expectations yes. in a way that I have never been able to do <laughs> and don't really want to do. Yeah. In this case they are carnies. Yes. Um and it's always like it's always something. Like yeah. there's um in House of a Thousand Corpses, it's like a 
redneck. Uh, they're always rednecks for Rob well, Zombie. Well, <laughs> yeah, like it's just you know a family, like yeah. an outcast family. Like there's all, it's always somebody who is an outcast. Yeah. So that makes it hard for me to relate. And then they are some of the most violent, gory movies we watch. And yeah. that's not the kind of movie I like. That's not the horror I am drawn to usually. And yet. And yet? Rob Zombie's movies consistently fall in the like top, top, top tier of horror movies that I've watched. It's artistic presentation. It is. And and I know that, I mean, I don't know how his more recent stuff has been received by critics, but I know his early movies were not well received. And I don't understand why not. Because more than any other movie, anything I've seen Rob Zombie do, it's been meticulous in the artistry. And by yeah. that, I mean like every line, every action, every set, every paint stroke on every set. Like <laughs> there is not one thing that if I were to look at it, I wouldn't be like, yes, Rob Zombie himself okayed <laughs> that that particular piece of graffiti in that corner of that dark yeah. room that nobody even noticed, but he made sure that it was there because it did something to set the mood in that room. Yeah, they really, the environments in this movie, all of a sudden, like at the beginning, you're just like, oh, these people are on a road trip through the desert. It's gross and dusty. And then they get taken into the terribleness. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. It's like a Hellraiser movie. <laughs> yeah. But even even when they're on the road trip, like... Everything about that RV they were traveling in. Yeah. Everything about that gas station they stopped in. Just even like the way they filmed the dusty desertness of it. Like I felt hot and dry and dusty when mm -hmm. I, that, you know, like you just feel everything on such a deep level, or at least I do when yeah. I watch these movies. Uh, it's definitely very calculated and thought out and it mm -hmm. it does something mm -hmm. and it reminds me every single time that art is not about something being pretty it's not about something that you like often that's what we consider art and and that's the art that we're maybe drawn to but every once in a while you come across something that is that is so repulsive so off-putting because of the level of artistry that has been put into it. Yeah. And that is like just this weird juxtaposition that, I don't know, I find very interesting. Yeah. I think I have avoided David Cronenberg films, but I kind of think that's probably the same thing. He does very body horror mm. stuff. And I think it's kind of why I've avoided it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's all very crafted to send a message and to get you thinking. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm sure there are other people out there who are doing this. Like, maybe we should be watching. But the thing is, I don't really want <laughs> to spend a lot of time inputting that kind of data into my brain. Yeah. Like, I don't like it. So it I sort bad. of feel like Rob Zombie is the one guy where I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to let him represent that whole area of the world for me. I'm going to, I'm going to let that be the input, but I really, I'm going to keep avoiding the other things. It reminds me of the alien movies, the guy who does like all the, the, alien artwork and the, yeah. you know, designed the sets of those movies for sort of the same reason. Like it's not 
appealing. It's not pretty. It's something that elicits a very uncomfortable response in me, mm-hmm. but it's that eliciting a response that is very intentional and very successful. You know, granted that's a very, you know, that's like a, a sci-fi approach as opposed to the horror approach, but same thing. Yeah. So anyway, we watched another Rob Zombie movie. And once again, I was like, that man is a genius. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how you're introduced to these characters at the beginning. And, you know, they're the rough, carny people. Mm-hmm. And the assumption, at least for me, was like, oh, these guys are going to go kidnap somebody and torture them. Absolutely. that's how they seem. Especially given how the other Rob Zombie movies have gone. Yeah. Like... House of a Thousand Corpses, this is basically those guys get in a van and start driving around, right? Like, I mean, it's not, obviously, but that initial people like you and I judging a book by its cover kind of a thing Mm -hmm. is like, ooh, those guys are scary. Yeah, real sketchy people. They were actually really good people. Like, I was very, very attached to them by later in the movie. Yeah. So it turns out they are the victims, your traditional horror movie victims that have to get fight their way out of a game. This is yes. one of this is a, a classic type of horror I enjoy which is the game scenario mm-hmm. where somebody has got you trapped and they say, "Well, if you have to win this to get out." Yeah. That's that's fun for me. So, let me th- this of all of the ones that we've talked about in this podcast, this is the one I want to like dive deeper into. Uh-huh. I want to like put I suspect this is already there. If it's not, I'm going to put some additional meaning into this movie. But I think Rob Zombie put this in there Uh for us to find. There are three very distinct socioeconomic types in this movie. There's the very wealthy controlling the game class. Which are like over the top. Oh my god. Designed to really push that idea. So much so. And very like removed from the whole thing. They they're stirring the pot. They've created uh-huh. it all, but they're all far, far away from the action. Yeah. There's the blue collar worker kind of class, which the elite class calls in yeah. each year for the game to do the dirty work. Yeah. Right? Their wet work as one might say. And then there's our like poor class, right? The the carnies driving around, like doing their thing, trying to get by as best they can, being victimized by both of the higher classes. That is interesting. I didn't catch on to that and that makes total sense. And there's a bit where either psycho head or schizo head, I don't know which, these are the kind of names the bad guys had. Mm-hmm. Is trying to not get killed, and he's like, we're just like you guys. We're forced into this. And Mm -hmm. he's trying to make that connection to the poor people, and the poor people are like, yeah, you do this job. Yeah. I'm not buying this. Well, and it it was interesting because I at that moment I was like, wait, is he just saying that to try to survive? Like, is this real? Like what I was wondering too. What's the situation? Yeah. And with this interpretation of it, both of those things are true. Yes, they are being forced into it by the class above them, yeah. kind of. Like, this is the option that they have been given. This is how you can survive. And and we, the people who control the game, will leave you alone and let you survive if you occasionally do this dirty job for us. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, those folks in that class have agreed to do the dirty job yeah. as 
the price that they pay to stay alive. Whereas the folks in the RV, our, our carny workers did not. And I think if any of them had been given the option, in fact, I sort of think Charlie at one point is offered in a sort of way, the option I definitely thought to join, that was a possibility. Yes. I don't know that it was said in so many words, but I think it was kind of like put out there. Mm-hmm. And like all the rest of them, she was like, hell no. I'm not that's not a that's not a a price I'm willing to pay for survival. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's that that blue collar in the middle. Yeah, they are victims, but they are also they ter- take their victimology and turn it against whoever it, they see as below them. Yeah, which is the wrong direction. Punch right. up people. Right. Which really ties into the political world today, you know, that 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 is that is so often the question of people, especially when we when someone mentions the word privilege, there's mm-hmm. a whole lot of people who get very offended when yep. their privilege is pointed out because they feel like victims and they refuse to acknowledge the fact that they are then victimizing other people in retaliation yeah. as opposed to like trying to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, there are layers. There's not just them and us. I was having a little question because we have also watched a movie for the movie for next week already <laughs> where there is a lot of that like redneck MAGA political belief system in the movie. And I felt very differently about that movie than I do about the way it's handled in this movie. And I was wondering why why do I always end up scoring the Rob Zombie movies so high yeah. when there are so many other movies that that when they get into this world of like just victimizing people for the sake of victimizing people, those are the ones where usually I'm like, nope, zero. This movie shouldn't exist. Yeah. And yet Zo- Rob Zombie gets fives from me almost all the time. Why? And I think it's because the underlying feeling of it, yes, these things are happening, but he's showing that they happen in order to say, this is gross and shouldn't happen. This is yeah. horrible. As opposed to taking something horrible and, and gross and, and kind of glorifying it or trying to mm-hmm. like see our lives are hard too. Yeah. Justifications. I don't know, but it's a very different feel and I am here for it in a way that I'm not here for some of those other ones. Yeah. I would express some disappointments with this movie and this movie is not highly rated by people. I'm not sure, but I think this is one where like people have said like this is his worst movie or things like that, which I I don't agree with and I know you don't. But I do see some of the same disappointments people see, which is like not to get too into what happens in the movie, but you know, there's this game structure and it's kind of like they introduce these special characters and the characters come in and they have to deal with the special character and the characters aren't that special is the problem I have with the movie. Like you're like, Oh no, who, who's psycho head who I mentioned earlier. And it turns out psycho head and schizo head are actually kind of the most special, like they come in together and it's like, Ooh, they're, they have a certain thing going on that makes them special and dangerous. But you know, most of them, it's like, oh, this is just people trying to stab you. Like, yeah, they're a little wacky, but they're just people with knives. I think I I, I see that. And 
When you look at it through the metaphor lens, though, well, I, I think that totally changes it. And I am all about the metaphor lens for these movies. Sure. So, uh, but I, I mean, I hear what, yeah, that makes sense. The balance felt a little off. Yeah, like I wanted, I wanted there to be, you know, with each of these introductions, it to be like, whoa, this is a new situation we're dealing with here. This is not just another person running at us with a knife. And it didn't quite feel that way. So I'm running through the the different bad guys, the different like blue collar workers that mm-hmm. come through. The first one is another outcast like themselves. It's a little person. Mm-hmm. Next, you have the pair who are sort of just like violence, right? Like they're just yeah. like murdery violence. Then you have another pair death and sex. Yeah. Which to me I'm like okay, well those are things that are kind of like they're they're built into humanity, right? Like mm-hmm. everyone has to face them at some point in some way and are kind of the things that are used as distractions, like mm. fear of death and distracted by the desire for sex. So again, mm. like very metaphorical. Like as the individuals that they were, they were not very impressive, but like that's what our, you know, elite game makers are putting into the mix is like, oh, here you're afraid that death is going to get you and you're distracted by this sexy lady. Like, (laughs) it's all the things that are thrown at you all the time to keep you from actually going after your powdered wigged that's pretty good um, elitists. That's that's something. And then and then we've got our our final guy who was truly the one who was most I think offended by the idea that someone might think he was a bad guy. Like he's just doing his job. Yeah. I mean, he he kind of feels like the next step up like middle management in a way, you know. He's he's above the other workers, but he's still below the elite. Yes. Which makes sense because they brought him in because the other people couldn't contain the lower class, and so they bring him in and yeah, they've given him certain privileges and yeah, like that. raised him up just a little bit yeah. so that he has this loyalty to them. Yeah, definitely. It's that party insider mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then Ooh. which makes the end even that much more interesting, which I won't go into, but like how how that very final scene at the end plays out. I almost feel like I want to watch the whole movie again with this metaphor, like at the forefront of my mind to see, okay, what are we actually saying with that last scene? Because mm-hmm. it's it's essentially the ultimate showdown. So I feel like we should probably rate this movie. I think you're going to be giving it a one and a half. Um, I, I feel like it will come as no surprise to anyone that I am going to give Rob Zombie's 31 five marionette shows out of five. I was going to say puppet show. I think the one maybe surprising, but maybe not thing about it is that I absolutely disagree with the people who say this is possibly his worst movie ever. And I would say this is my favorite of all of his movies. Wow. Um, to me, it feels like progression and a honing of the skill. It's like when a strong artist has been doing their art for a while and their art just keeps getting sharper. This felt sharp and strong in all the right ways to me. And I'm sure 
that there are people walking around out there thinking that Sherry Moon Zombie <laughs> gets her roles because of nepotism. I, and I think it's impossible that she doesn't. <laughs> I'm sure that's a part of it. But in this movie in particular, like uh, previous movies, I've sort of been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You put your wife in your movies because she's hot and whatever you want her to be happy. Fine. I don't have a problem with it. She was never terrible, terrible. But in this one, I thought she was actually really good at being Charlie. Like, I, think I thought was, she did a fantastic job. Um, he did The Lords of Salem, which was not a great movie. And it was like totally all about her. And I think she was really good in that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think she's good. I think she, she, she brings some real skill to acting in a horror movie in particular. Mm-hmm. Like she can portray fear and pain and exhaustion and all of those things that come up in horror movies really well. And not just her. Like, I think the whole cast of this movie was amazing. Good guys, bad guys, all of them. Like, I thought this was a really well done movie. The beginning of this movie, the just intro scene was pretty good. And it was just very simple. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would like to give this movie a five plus. What? Because it it is everything that I want in a <laughs> horror movie. And that plus is because the metaphor holds up so well to me, like beginning to end every piece of it, which tells me the writing was really tight too. So five plus. Yeah. I'm still a Rob Zombie fan. Wow. That's good. It has been a very long time since we saw House of a Thousand Corpses, but I have this image of what it is in my mind that is better than this to me. Like, it's so, it's such a fun movie. And this is more of just a murder fest. And so I do not like this as much as, as at least my memory of that. Mm-hmm. But. Getting into that metaphor stuff, which I was just not paying attention to during the night, I'm going to put this up at four and a half marionette shows out of five. It was definitely a good movie, worth seeing. I don't know why it's not well regarded. I think people get a weird chip on their shoulder about Rob Zombie. and They do. You know, I, I think I think it is more of exactly what this movie was talking about, where... There are the people who are in charge and they don't like the people who are outside of their sphere of influence. Yeah. And he is one of those people. And I, I don't know. I, I, that's my theory on that at any rate. I mean, it's like Michael Jordan playing baseball. It makes people very angry. Right? <laughs> know your place, <laughs> Rob Zombie. So that ended our Halloween watching. It did. But then the next day, I headed out to do some more campaigning, and you watched The Haunting in Connecticut from 2009. Yes. My hot political tip for you guys today is check out postcardstovoters.org. It's a website where basically it'll send you a bunch of addresses and what you need to say to them, and you just write out postcards and send them out, and it's basically telling people, hey, you should vote in this election. And it's you know going to people who are likely interested in voting that way, but just a reminder to help them do it. I say that because the reason I watched this movie was that 
I signed up to do some postcards and I needed to sit around and do postcards. So I wanted to have a movie on. So I'm like, let's keep the marathon going. Let's keep it going. So how was this one? Well, this is a film that I have seen before at least once and possibly twice. That's not a good sign that you felt the need to watch it a third maybe time. I mean, why? That should be a good sign. Watch Did you remember that you were watching it a third time? I thought... I thought I had seen it before, but I wasn't sure. And I'm like, ooh, Haunting in Connecticut. Great. Let's watch a classic haunted house movie. And indeed, that is what you get. This is feels like it's from 2009, but it feels like, you know, the classic 90s horror movie. Mm-hmm. Just a basic haunted house story. Uh, in this case, it's about the teenager in this family has really bad cancer. You know, he's going through chemo and everything. And so he's, you know, close to death. So he's the one who's seeing spirits and interacting with them. And I really enjoy that much more than, you know, most movies will give you a little kid who's like, ooh, Billy in the closet tells me I should murder my mommy. Uh And that's annoying. (laughs) I'd watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen a lot of them. (laughs) That's annoying because, you know, you get the bad kid acting and... Just, I mean, it's always kind of silly. And Mm -hmm. the kid is like interacting with this thing like it's real, whereas this is a teenager. So he's approaching it more like an adult and it feels better. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I mean, it is what it is. It's a basic haunting movie. It's the kind of thing I really enjoy because they do their research. They figure out what's going on and you get more and more pieces. There are things early on that are definitely clues that you might or might not catch. Mm, mm-hmm. And then by the end, it all comes together and you understand the whole thing, which it, I love. Does it do that like montage thing at the end where it shows you all the clues that you <laughs> no, should have picked up on? They did I not enjoy do when they do that. <laughs> I, my favorite is when they do that for something that happened literally in the previous scene. <laughs> yes. I love that. But no, they didn't do that. There is like kind of a, I don't know if it's a twist exactly, but thing at the end of this movie, a surprise that is pretty shocking and kind of cool. So it's it's a good haunted house movie. It's not deep. It does not have a metaphor about class in America. <laughs> or maybe it does, and I just didn't catch it. And uh, yeah, it's just a, just a fun Halloween romp, or Day of the Dead romp. Nice. All right. So what would you score it then? I would give it four eyelids out of five. Oh, nice. Solid movie. Okay. Also, if, you're, if you enjoy this one, you can always check out The Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia, which is about Georgia instead of Connecticut. And was filmed in... Louisiana. Louisiana, yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything about that one. I just thought that's ridiculous. All right. Well, that is a wrap. On this year's Halloween Horror Marathon. It's always a blast. But we're going to keep the fun going by continuing to watch and review at least one movie a week. Because who says Halloween has to be uh, restricted to one day? That's just the man trying to keep us down. Absolutely. I say Halloween is forever. Yes. So we will see you next week. With yet another scary movie. Have fun, everybody. 
happy Halloween several weeks ago. <laughs> Hello.